Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. สวัสดีครับ. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program where we study the words of the Buddha in this book titled The Words of the Buddha, The Path to Enlightenment, Revealing the Hidden. This book is titled Developing a Life Practice, The Path that Leads to Enlightenment, Volume 1. We're in Chapter 6 of this book and we're progressing each Sunday through the actual chapters. And we've gone through some very deep teachings over the last few weeks with chapter three, talking about what is enlightenment, chapter four, the Four Noble Truths, and that's where you learn the three universal truths as well in establishing right view. Then last week we did the Eightfold Path, which is the path to enlightenment. Some really important and in-depth teachings from the Buddha around all of these various topics. Well, today we're in chapter six, which is a very different type of chapter than all the other chapters in the entire book. This is a very simple, basic teaching, but when you understand the simplicity of it, it can be very profound when it's applied to your life. It's titled The Middle Way, Walking the Middle Way. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our class today and invite you to ask questions as we go. You can do that through Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom just by putting that in the comment section. Our moderators will see that and be sure your question gets asked during the class. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. This chapter around the middle way, chapter six, is very short, it's very simple, and it's based on a teaching that the Buddha shared during his lifetime. And I actually put the words of the Buddha of where he was introducing this teaching and even describing it to a certain degree. So I'm gonna describe it to you today through the words that I share, and then you can see in chapter six of the book, the words of the Buddha that he actually shared around this topic as well. I'm just gonna switch over to some visual aids that I have here so that you guys can see those in the class. During the lifetime of the Buddha, he discussed his path to enlightenment as the middle way or walking the middle way. When he was a member of the royal family, he was a prince destined to become a king. He was living a life of luxury, indulging in sensual pleasures. Of course, as a member of a royal family, you would have lots of wealth and access to various services for entertainment and food and clothing and all the different things that he would need in life. And he realized during that time, 29 years of being part of the royal family, that his mind was discontent, even though he had everything and anything that you could imagine in terms of material wealth and material objects. So he ultimately ends up leaving the royal palace and going off on this journey to experience enlightenment. And he started studying with these two teachers in the area. And 
they were teaching him to do harmful things to the body. There was this self-mortification that was being practiced at that time, and it's even practiced today to a certain degree. And what people do is they kind of harm the physical body. He was taught to starve the body. He was taught to hang himself upside down from trees, lay on bed of nails, things like this, piercing the body with metal implements and other things along these lines. And the thought was that if you could overcome this physical pain that you could experience this peacefulness and this enlightened mental state and there's people that even do those kind of things today and then there's also people today like during the lifetime of the buddha that think that it's material wealth or sensual pleasures that are going to bring happiness and permanent happiness in our life but as the buddha experienced both sides of this the sensual pleasures and the self-mortification he understood that neither of those two ways actually lead to enlightenment and actually produce this peaceful calm serene and content mind with joy and he explained this when he was talking to a female ordained practitioner and he was talking to her about this stringed instrument that she played prior to ordaining it was called a lute or some people refer to it as a sitar although sitars didn't really get invented until after the life of the buddha but you understand a stringed guitar that's what we use today commonly and there's other stringed instruments that we have today as well and what he was explaining is that when this instrument the string is too tight that it doesn't play the way that it's intended to play it doesn't play beautiful music and if the string is too loose that it also doesn't play beautiful music either it doesn't play the way the instrument was intended to play so he explained that the human mind is essentially the same thing that if we're holding on to things too tight and doing things like central pleasures and just kind of trying to please the mind through all this craving desire attachment this isn't going to lead to the mind performing optimally in this enlightened mental state where there's focus and concentration clarity of mind and deep memory but also if we do this self-mortification and causing pain to the physical body this isn't going to allow the mind to perform optimally either because all it's going to be experiencing is pain 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 so the buddha described that he awakened to the middle way and awakening to the middle way is the eightfold path that we discussed last week that is the middle way he's describing the middle way as it relates to right view right intention right speech right action right livelihood right effort right mindfulness and right concentration he's sharing with you what the natural law of gamma or the natural laws of existence are in terms of how you can practice in such a way that you're not causing harm to others so that harm doesn't come to you and because of that what you'll observe is that the mind will perform more optimally because when we have craving desire attachment we're chasing after the objects of our affection we're blinded by our own craving desire attachment if you're chasing after this object of your affection you're not necessarily paying attention to all the various things along the way you're just chasing after that object almost like a predator chasing after a prey animal but also if we are causing harm to the physical body doing this self-mortification that the buddha he wasn't yet a buddha yet but he ultimately became known as the buddha but siddhartha Gautama was doing prior to attaining enlightenment if we do those kind of things where we're causing harm to the body and not taking care of the body or the mind this isn't going to produce this 
peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind either. It's not going to experience this focus and concentration, deep memory, and clarity of mind. It's only when we practice and refine the mind to perform optimally and it can play beautiful music like this instrument was intended to do. So by learning and practicing the Eightfold Path, you will gradually bring the mind to this middle way. And remember that that Eightfold Path has parts of it that are wisdom, parts that are moral conduct, and parts that are mental discipline. Oftentimes people think that the way to enlightenment is just meditation and meditating your way to enlightenment, but that's not possible because even if you were meditating every day, but you were going outside and you were killing and you were stealing and having sexual misconduct and lying and taking substances that cause heedlessness and things like this, then you're going to find that your mind is going to be very cluttered because it's polluted. It's making decisions that are unwholesome. So therefore, unwholesome results are going to be experienced. So it's only when we fine tune the mind to this middle way or the eightfold path that it performs optimally and we can experience better results in our life. So you can think of these eight steps of the eightfold path as individual dials that we're kind of dialing in each one of these right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. You're dialing it in closer and closer and closer. And what tends to happen is you might be grabbing on to one thing and doing something with craving, desire, attachment. And when you start letting go of that, the mind has a tendency to swing to the other side like a pendulum and it kind of misses the middle. And then you kind of realize you're on this side of things and then you let go of that and now it kind of swings back to the other side, but not quite as far as it was before. And then it kind of swings and swings and swings and you kind of hone in and get to this middle way more and more and more. Another analogy that I can share with you is this middle way is like a board or a piece of wood. And if you had a piece of steel and you were grinding back and forth on this piece of wood and you were just constantly grinding back and forth, back and forth, when you first start working this piece of steel down into the wood, it's going to have a tendency to veer off course and bounce out of the middle because this groove isn't really worn into the wood yet. But the longer you scrape back and forth in this middle of the board and scrape back and forth and you dig that piece of steel deeper and deeper into the wood, it eventually gets so deep into this slot that it's created that it's harder and almost impossible once it gets really deep into it to pop out of the middle. And what an unenlightened mind is experiencing is that because it's untrained and it's lacking the wisdom of how to train, it doesn't know where this middle way is. It's over here chasing after sensual pleasures and trying to please the mind and have these pleasant feelings. And when it's not doing that, maybe it's over here doing painful things that are harmful to us in our life because it doesn't quite know where this middle is. And as you learn and you practice the Buddhist teachings and you're gradually training the mind, the mind starts to become more and more familiar with where this middle is. And where you know where the middle is and when the mind is in the middle is the mind will be at peace. It'll feel that it's just easy, right? It's just the mind is at ease and you'll feel this easiness in the mind. Whereas if you're feeling this stress and this anxiety and this heartache, the mind is not in the middle. But also, if the mind is having complacency or it's indifferent, the mind is not in the middle <clears throat> with that either. So it's only when the mind is in the middle that it kind of feels like it takes a breath 
and it's like ah that feels nice it's very peaceful in the middle the mind can be at ease in the middle but when the mind's not in the middle you're not going to feel that peacefulness or that ease so when you bring the mind to the middle and you feel that peacefulness that's helping you to discover what the middle is and then be able to practice that more and more and more and more and not only is it the eightfold path and practicing all these teachings that you gradually bring the mind to the middle but there's other aspects of your life that you can practice the middle way with as well so the buddha gives us these teachings of the eightfold path and things like the seven factors of enlightenment and all these different teachings to help us understand where the middle is and then we have to navigate to it and find it and once we find it then the mind gets used to performing that way and it just kind of is like that piece of steel that's been deeply put into this wood and now it won't pop out but you need to accumulate the benefits of having learned and practiced and trained the mind enough that it's going down deep into this wood. And that's where the mind will be at ease and it will be peaceful. But there's also other parts of your life too, like say your finances. You might have a certain craving or desire around your finances. You might have a desire to have a certain amount of wealth and you're chasing after a certain amount of wealth. Or you may be lacking wealth and you may be lacking money and you feel like, gosh, if I just had more, everything would be so wonderful in my life. And the mind here isn't in the middle. It's only when the mind comes to the middle that it can be at ease. But once the mind finds the middle, it kind of shifts and it kind of changes. Like this next picture that I'm showing you here is that you might actually start off walking the middle way and you might have found the middle with something like finances for example where maybe you understand you need a certain amount of income in order to sustain your life and have certain necessities in life you need to pay for your house and your car or your clothing or your food or other things that you need in your life these basic necessities of life food water clothing shelter and medical care and those basic needs are met and then maybe you start implementing some generosity into your practice where you're kind of giving and sharing helping charities and things like this and you feel like you found the middle with that and you're kind of walking that first part of the path that you see in this picture where it's going straight ahead towards the mountain but then because of impermanence things can easily change in our life we might have something like covid come along where we get laid off of our job or money isn't as flowing in the economy or maybe your boss comes and asks you to take a pay cut in terms of what your salary is or something like this and where before you felt like you had the middle way practiced in terms of your finances now with things shifting and changing due to impermanence it's not that you can find the middle way with something like finances and walk straight to the mountain it's not like that you have to understand the universal truth of impermanence and that now that you've taken less salary or you have less of an income you might need to shift some of the things that you're doing in terms of your generosity or maybe the money that you're spending on certain food or clothing or things like this you need to account for impermanence and be attentive to that and be attentive to the mind because with something like finances and every other aspect of our life when the mind is not in the middle, there's going to be stress, there's going to be anxiety, there's going to be frustration or irritation or these other discontent feelings. These are almost like red lights on the dashboard of your car alerting you to something's wrong with the car and you need to pull over and investigate and correct the problem. 
Well, when you experience discontentedness in life, that's the red light on your dashboard. You're going to hear about this in a future chapter that I'm going to be sharing from this book, that when that red light goes off, when you experience frustration or stress or anxiety, that's the time to pause and look at what's going on in your life and see if you're truly in the middle with something like finances, for example, or something like spending time with your children or your life partner or your family or other things, maybe maintaining your home or maintaining your car. We need to find the middle with all these things, not just the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is training you to eliminate the discontentedness, training you to eliminate pollution that causes the discontentedness. So the Eightfold Path is what the Buddha taught as the middle way. And it's a very straightforward teaching that, yeah, the mind will perform more optimally when it's practicing the Eightfold Path. But you can expand this understanding of the middle way into other parts of your life. Like I'm mentioning here with the finances, the time you spend with your family and friends, your job, your home life, your various things that you have in your life. If you're not in the middle with any of these things, then your life is going to be off balance. So if you kind of lock on to this middle way with your finances, for example, and you think you've got everything sorted out and you walk straight towards the mountain, you might actually fall into a hole, not realizing that just over that hill, there's a little hole there. Uh, where is if you understand impermanence that things are going to be shifting and changing in your life in terms of your income, the amount of time you need to spend with one person or another, then you can kind of ebb and flow. So right now, depending on your age, you might not spend a whole lot of time with your parents. And that's the middle way that you can kind of call them occasionally. You can go visit them occasionally, check in on them. You might not spend so much time with your parents. But then as they age and they need more help, you might find that you need to shift various aspects of your life. Maybe now you're not spending as much time with your children because they're older and you need to start spending more time with your parents and taking care of them, perhaps. This is just an example. All these different things in our life are going to be shifting and changing. And when we understand the middle way and that the mind's going to experience discontentedness when it's not practicing the middle way, then we can stay attentive to that. And then as we observe impermanence in our life, we can make adjustments and kind of move and ebb and flow, ensuring that we're still walking towards the mountain, but we're doing so with the understanding of impermanence and that these things are going to be shifting and changing throughout our life. So I would like to just kind of pause here. I didn't have a whole lot to say about the middle way because as I mentioned, it's a very simple teaching, but it can be very profound. It's something that you can apply to your life right now. You know, the Eightfold Path, you need to do a lot of study. You need to do a lot of investigation. You need to do a lot of work to bring your practice up to that. And you should actually do that in order to get to enlightenment. But this understanding of the teaching of the middle way, you can actually learn this in a very simple way and then just apply it to various parts of your life. Whereas if in daily life, if you're struggling and you're seeing some stress arising, you can just know I'm not in the middle. What do I need to do to get in the middle? I'm holding something too tight or there's something that's too loose and the mind is not in the middle. And oftentimes you can quickly see where the mind is holding on to something too tight or there's something too loose and then bring your decisions to the middle where you can feel more at ease and more peacefulness with the decisions that you're making. 
So let me pause and see what questions you guys have on this because as I mentioned, I don't have a lot to share because it's a very simple teaching. It's more about the application of this teaching in your life. So if you have certain examples that you're not sure if you're in the middle or not, or you would like to discuss certain things that you're going to be making decisions about here in the near future, feel free to bring those up in the comment sections of Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or raise your hand in Zoom and we can talk about these things. So I'll just turn things over to all of you for any questions that you might have. Hello, Teacher David. Good evening to you, sir. Good evening to you, Nick. So what you're describing, um, the middle way, it's not a fixed or straight line. And depending on the variables, uh, the middle way can sway to the right or left uh, due to life's impermanences. Is that correct? I would think of the middle way as always being in the middle but that middle is not a straight line to the mountain that that middle way you're going to have to adjust as you go through life it's not moving to the right or moving to the left it's just that the decisions that you need to make in order to maintain the middle way are going to shift and change so as we progress in life like i mentioned you know early on if you have children you probably know that you need to spend a lot of time with them and you need to guide them and help them to grow but then as they start to age and they're starting to make decisions on their own you don't need to be as involved in their life and then you have more time to do other things but then there might be periods of time when they're in their 20s or 25 or 30 where they're meeting a certain crisis or maybe something happens in their life or maybe they have a child and now for a week or two or three or whatever you might decide you might need to spend more time with your children where you haven't been spending time with them maybe for a while as they've been aging 25 30 35 years old so you might find the middle way in terms of time for yourself and time with family and you feel like wow this feels pretty good this feels like the mind is at ease and it's very peaceful but then as variables change in your life and in other people's lives around you you might have to increase time with certain people or decrease time with certain people. You might have to increase your income or you might have to decrease your expenses at different times. You're going to have these different changes that are happening in your life. What the unenlightened mind wants to do is it wants to make a bunch of decisions, get locked onto those and just stick with those throughout an extended period of time. But if you understand the universal truth of impermanence, that that's not how life is, then you can always be observing the mind in your life situation and what you're involved in, and then make adjustments to your life in terms of things like finances or spending time with family or spending time to maintain your home or transportation or clothing or things like this that you need in order to sustain life. That makes sense. Thank you, Teacher David. So if I'm understanding this correctly, the problem that Gautama Buddha taught us about was discontentedness. And um, whenever we're not in the middle, that's when disconnect, that's, when there's discontentedness, there's, we're not in the middle. That's the way I'm understanding it. Is that correct? That's right. And uh, so if we're discontent, maybe too excited or, or too tired, upset, angry, sad, any one of those things, anxious, um, that can serve as the red light on the dashboard to say we're not in the middle. Right. That's going to help you to understand that you're not in the middle. And, and, you know, something we haven't really talked about much in this program, you mentioned the word tiredness. 
You know, in some cultures, we're taught to go, 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 go all the time and always pouring ourselves into certain events or certain objectives or even certain people. And what you're going to understand and what you probably are seeing is that this isn't sustainable. You're going to burn out because you're not in the middle. We have words that we use even today. We say, you know, living a balanced lifestyle. But what's a balanced lifestyle, right? Everybody's lifestyle is different because of impermanence. So that middle way or that balanced lifestyle that we talk about, it's going to be different for each person. It's going to be shifting and changing. It's not sustainable for us to go, 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 go all the time. One of the things that I had to train myself to do when I came here to Thailand is I had to learn how to relax. I didn't know how to relax. Living where I lived previously in America, I was a business owner. I was in the business world. I was go, 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 go all the time, sometimes working 16, 18 hours a day. And I didn't know how to relax. I didn't know how to just be at home and just see it as being productive to just relax on the sofa for an hour or two or do other things like this, spending time with just relaxing with family and so forth. So If you are finding yourself go, 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 go all the time, you're going to feel a lot of stress. You're going to feel a lot of anxiety. You're going to feel burnt out at times. And this is the mind and the body telling you that you're not in the middle. You're not practicing the middle way. And you might have to train yourself the way that I did to relax in that see it as productive to just sit on the sofa and do nothing and just relax and maybe just look at uh, a little bit of TV or to read a book or to just sit there and, and, and relax and do nothing sometimes. This can be very healthy for your practice, particularly if you're finding yourself wanting to go, 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 go and study the Buddhist teachings all the time and you feel like you've got to always have your nose in a book and always studying. You've got to understand that there's a middle way even with investigating the Buddhist teachings. While it's important to get to enlightenment and you'll find that having an enlightened mind is so much better than anything you ever thought imaginable in terms of living life, you can't hurry up and get there, right? So you need to be able to find a way that you can gradually make your way to this middle in all aspects of your life. Now, Teacher David, you mentioned um, maybe just watching some TV. So an example comes to mind. If someone's working these 16, 18 hours a day um, and their way to relax when they come home is just flip on the TV for a few hours and then, you know, go to bed. Um, is there a middle way when it comes to watching TV? You know, should we kind of balance that um, away with studying and doing other things, maybe focusing on the Buddhist teachings? Or I can see just like um, certain people and, uh, you know, my own experiences um, that uh, when you're working really hard, you know, that's a way that it's common for people to relax. Oh, I can just zone out and watch some TV. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I can teach you the teaching of the middle way and explain to you how to apply it to your life. And when you see discontentedness, the mind's not in the middle, I can explain that to you. But in terms of how much time you should spend doing one thing versus another, this is where you have to decide for your life because everybody's different and everybody's life is different. So you can uh, watch TV. There's no harm in watching TV. You would like to be sure the content you're putting in is you know wholesome content. But also if you're always watching TV, right, that's where you go to the other side. Whereas if you're always complacent, you know, just uh, lazy and, and sitting around the house, not doing anything, you're not making decisions that are 
creating productivity in your life, that's not going to be beneficial either. But if you were go, 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 go all the time and never found time to relax, that's not going to be beneficial either. So you've got to find that middle and figure out where that is and then be aware that that's going to shift and that's going to change. So for example, say you got sick with COVID or you broke your leg or you had some kind of injury or something like this where normally you're out on the workforce, normally you're working, but now maybe you find yourself at home for a week or two. You've got to just be content with, all right, this is where I am. You know, I'm going to be here at home. I'm going to be reading some books. I'm going to be watching TV, maybe watching some videos about the Buddhist teachings, listening to some podcasts, attending some classes, doing some meditation. You factor in all these things and you don't have to decide right now, right? You don't have to have a schedule that you map out. Okay, I'm going to do this on Monday for an hour. I'm going to do this on Tuesday. You don't have to map it out that way, but you building this awareness of mind or this mindfulness, you stay attentive to the mind and you stay attentive to the things you've got going on in your life. And you can make decisions day by day, moment by moment about the things that you're doing in life and ensuring that you're not always go, 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 but also ensuring that you're not complacent and lazy either and finding ways to be productive in the various activities, the various goals, the various objectives that you have in life. So when we find ourselves not in the middle, when there's some discontentedness, the way to bring it to the middle, is that the uh, seven factors of enlightenment? Yeah, so I've mentioned the seven factors of enlightenment and I think even discussed them to a certain level of detail at different times. The seven factors of enlightenment, oftentimes because of the title, people think that it's how to determine if you're enlightened, but it's actually not. They're actually tools to fine tune the mind. And the first one that the Buddha talks about is mindfulness. And he says, this one is always useful. We should always be practicing mindfulness, which is awareness of mind. Because if you're going to purify the mind of these pollutions and you're going to bring in this wholesome qualities, you need to be aware of what's in the mind, what's there that's unwholesome and what's there that's wholesome so that you can eliminate the unwholesome and you can arise the wholesome. So practicing mindfulness is always useful. Essentially, you should be practicing that at all waking times of your day. The other factors of enlightenment, there's three that he shares that if the mind is sluggish, you can practice these and bring them to the middle. And there's three that if the mind is excited or overactive, you can practice those to bring the mind to the middle. And you can see those in chapter three. I've described those very clearly for you and actually explain how to apply them, whether the mind is sluggish or the mind is excited. And this is what's going to fine tune the mind and bring it to the middle at any given time. But then the way that I'm explaining the middle way and the way that you can apply it to your life is above and beyond what the Buddha explained in terms of bringing the mind to the middle with the Eightfold Path and the Seven Factors of Enlightenment. You can also apply it to various decisions that you need to make at different times. Like I've mentioned, all the different examples, you know, spending time with your children, your life partner, maintaining your home, maintaining your physical body, maintaining your job and your occupation, where oftentimes we're taught to put 80, 90% of our effort into our work and we're motivated to make all this money and it's going to be material objects that are going to bring this happiness to you. But you can see around the world people that are super rich and super wealthy. Some of those people, they're peaceful and 
and calm and living a great life. But others, even though they have a lot of money, they're not very happy or very content. And you can see it in the Buddha's life too, that he had all the material possessions and he still wasn't experiencing peacefulness and contentedness. And even once he attained enlightenment, he didn't go back to the royal family. He continued to practice the way he was practicing. So once you understand that it's not going to be work, 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 get rich, get wealthy, make a lot of money, that's not what's going to bring you contentedness and peacefulness, then you can start bringing the mind to the middle. But then there you can also understand if you didn't have any money and or you were, were upside down in your finances, meaning you were spending more money than you were making and you're going into debt constantly. This isn't going to produce peacefulness in your life either. So you can't be work, 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 make lots of money, you know, store lots of money in the bank. But you also can't be, you know, never attend to my finances ever and start going into massive amount of debt. That's not going to produce a life of peacefulness. So you find that middle where your income is higher than your expenses, for example, since we're talking about finances and that you're also able to give and share and help others through your generosity at different times, and then just be attentive that this topic of finances is impermanent and it's going to be gradually shifting and changing. Thank you, Teacher David. We have a question from Tonka. She writes, we hear a lot that having a good routine is very beneficial. Is it something that contradicts with the Buddhist teachings? I don't think about routines in my life because a routine is like the mind craving permanence where like if we have a certain schedule, like we're going to wake up at 7 a.m., we're going to meditate at 730, we're going to eat breakfast at 8, we're going to be in the gym at this time. You know, we can have this kind of general plan to kind of navigate our life, but when we make it real rigid and the mind tries to latch onto it, it only takes a little bit of impermanence and that schedule falls away. So what I suggest people to do is kind of have a general idea of how they would like to conduct their life. Like for me, I know in the morning, in the evening, I would like to do meditation. I know that I have certain hours that I do personal guidance with students. I have certain days that I teach classes and certain times that I teach classes. But I know all of these things are impermanent that there can be certain times where my meditation shifts that I wake up in the morning and maybe I have a bit of a headache and I'm not interested in meditating right away. I might delay it for a couple of hours. Or if there's a certain student who I'm looking to meet with and I've got it scheduled, but I realize that I've maybe only had a couple hours of sleep, I might end up rescheduling that appointment for another time, realizing that in that situation, what is most important is that this physical body and this mind is healthy, that I can always have this appointment later. So we can have this general way of conducting our life and things that we know that we're working towards, but not being real rigid with it and think of it as permanence or as a routine, because it's not going to be able to be performed the same way every day, all the time. And if we lock onto it, wanting it to be permanent, then as soon as there's a little bit of impermanence and we can't do the things that we've scheduled, then the mind's going to be discontent. So I suggest kind of more of a looser idea. So rather than lock onto it really tightly, or rather than have no schedule at all, have a general idea that's kind of a little bit loose and that leaves room for movement and shifts. It's great advice, Venerable Sir. Let's go to Tony. Hello there. Uh, Denise Davis asks on Facebook, teacher, is there a middle way to watch the news and not become discontent? 
Okay. Thank you, teacher. Sure. So the reason why the mind gets discontent when it's watching the news is because there's craving for the world to be a certain way. It's on one side, right? And then the other side would be if the mind was indifferent and you didn't care what was going on in the world. Instead, you like to practice this loving kindness and this compassion. Loving kindness is this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And compassion is this concern for the misfortune of others. So the reason why your mind's discontent is not because of the news, you know that, but it's craving, desiring, attached. It wants the world to be a certain way. So what I suggest you do is go away from the news for a period of time, uh, whether that's a few weeks or a couple of months, and just don't watch the news. You've got to let go of the craving. You're going to hear about things that are going on in the world. Oftentimes we think if we don't watch the news, we're not going to know what's going on. People will tell you, uh, whether you're at work or it's your friends or your family, people will talk to you about things that are going on. If you can't just kind of cut it off completely for a few weeks or a few months, you might decide to watch it every other day or every third day or something like that. Because as long as that craving for things to be a certain way in the world is there, when you watch the news, it's going to produce discontentedness. So you've got to distance yourself from the news Go through a period of time where the mind's not craving to know what's going on and craving for the world to be a certain way. And then once you do that, then after a few months or what have you, you can kind of reintroduce it slowly but surely. And then at any point that you see the mind becomes discontent again, let it go for a week or two and then slowly introduce it again. So you kind of have to strip things out of your life, go down to bare minimum, and then allow the mind to find its contentedness and peacefulness there. And then you can slowly, gradually introduce these things back into your life. And wherever you see that as you're reintroducing something like the news, that there's discontentedness, then cut it out of your life again for two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, and then gradually reintroduce it again. That's how you can then find the middle way. Because as long as you're holding on and wanting the world to be a certain way, or you're indifferent and you don't care, which that's not the case, the mind's going to be discontent in both of those situations. So the way that you find the middle is let go of the world, wanting it to be a certain way. And if you let go of the news and just allow the mind to find its inner peacefulness on its own, then after you do that for an extended period of time and you reintroduce the news, you can find that the mind can be quite content just being aware of what's going on in the world rather than wanting things to be a certain way. I'm not seeing any more questions, Teacher David. All right. Well, what I had shared with you guys last week was the Eightfold Path, and this is the Buddha's teachings on the middle way. Uh, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. These are steps that he's teaching you of how to refine your practice and bring the mind to the middle. And what's important to understand in terms of this Eightfold Path and all the teachings of the Buddha is as you see here on the Eightfold Path, there's this section of moral conduct. Oftentimes people think about uh, religions, even though I don't think about the Buddha's teachings as a religion, it's this better way of life teaching you how to move the mind to this enlightened mental state through training the mind. We often think about religions as trying to control us, right? Sometimes people think that way. And when you see something like moral conduct, you might not necessarily understand how it fits into something like the middle way or training the mind or bringing the mind to the middle. Well, as I talked in our intro, 
if the moral conduct is unwholesome and you're putting harm into the world, then what you're going to notice is harm is coming back to you. So if you're speaking, for example, with right speech and you're producing wholesome speech that isn't causing harm to others, then gradually over time, you'll see that people will be speaking more and more polite, kind, friendly, or respectful to you. And it's much easier to reside in the middle and have this peaceful mind when people around you are all speaking so polite and kind. But you've got to create that for yourself through you working on your practice first so that when you talk to your life partner, your children, your neighbor, your family, your coworkers, that you're speaking in this wholesome way so that then over time, more and more people will speak to you with this type of speech. But you're not craving that, you're not wanting that, but you'll just gradually see that will occur. And as you're improving your moral conduct, your mind can then be at ease. Because if you know with 100% certainty that you've been practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech for six months or a year or two years, and you've had nothing but wonderful conversations and wholesome conversations with people, and you've made wise decisions about who to include in your life and who you're choosing not to include in your life, and you've created a life for yourself where you're spending a lot of time with wholesome friends and wholesome companions, and you're practicing something like right speech, well, when the occasional person comes along and speaks harsh to you, then you know that you didn't cause that because for one year or two years or however long, you've been speaking with these five factors of well-spoken speech. The same thing is if you're practicing right action, not killing, not stealing, not having sexual misconduct, your mind can be at ease. It can be more peaceful because you know yourself that you're not causing harm in the world and harm isn't going to be coming back to you as the mind gets closer and closer to enlightenment and it's actually enlightened. So this moral conduct around right speech, right action, right livelihood is actually pivotal and vital to your enlightenment because that's where the mind is not causing harm to others so harm isn't going to come back to you and it's important that you see that the more that you practice this moral conduct that the mind can then gain this concentration and this clarity of mind because if you are out having sexual misconduct for example you're going to be fearful that your partner is going to discover that and the mind can't be peaceful as long as there's fear there. So when we are out there practicing sexual misconduct, for example, then that's going to cause the mind to be discontent and it's not in the middle. Or if we were stealing and we were out there stealing, then we know we're stealing. We know we're breaking the law. We know we're harming people. And there again, there's going to be fear in the mind. There's going to be discontent in this. There's even probably going to feel guilt and shame as part of that. So therefore, there's going to be difficulties in the mind that as long as our moral conduct is unwise and unwholesome, then the mind can't be at ease. So while the Buddhist teachings primarily focus on training the mind, you need to be able to see that improving your moral conduct is an important part of that that in order to get to this focus and concentration and clarity of mind and deep memory, that there needs to be this moral conduct. And if you think about the Buddha's Eightfold Path and the way that it builds, it builds this way intentionally. There needs to be a certain amount of wisdom that's cultivated about moral conduct, what's wholesome and what's unwholesome. And we need to clean up our moral conduct. And then that directly relates to 
our mental discipline and the ability of the mind to be at ease and to be peaceful and for us to be able to control our mind. If we're out there killing or stealing or having sexual misconduct, we don't have control over the mind. The mind's craving, desire, attachments are controlling us. So when we understand these wholesome and unwholesome moral conduct, we understand wise and unwise decisions, we can improve our moral conduct. And this is going to directly contribute to our mental discipline and the improvement of our mental discipline and be able to control the mind. I wrote something a few years ago that I was attempting to explain the middle way and helping people to see it more clearly. And I thought what I would do is just introduce it to you guys and read it to you as part of our class. It's titled, Where is the Middle? If you observe the mind is experiencing happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, exhilaration, euphoria, sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, stress, anxiety, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment, etc., then move the mind to peacefulness, to calmness, serenity, and contentedness with joy. This is the middle where the mind is unaffected by discontent feelings. The mind can reside in the present moment with singleness of mind or concentration, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently as one nears closer and closer to enlightenment through training the mind. The mind will be focused, concentrated, have deep memorization with clarity of thought and no discontent feelings. The mind will be at ease. That's the middle right there. So while one is learning and practicing to attain this mental state permanently, anytime you observe the mind is not in the middle, experiencing discontentedness, like pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, actively apply right effort, eliminating unwholesome mental qualities and arising wholesome qualities to bring the mind to the middle where it resides only in the present moment, letting go of thoughts, feelings, and emotions that are discontent. Bringing the mind to peacefulness, calmness, serenity, and contentedness with joy so that the mind can be at ease. So this was me trying to describe the middle because as I mentioned, the the mind will take a breath when you're in the middle. When you're feeling all these discontent feelings, whether they're pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or neither painful nor pleasant, the mind is not in the middle. And there's decisions that you can make in those situations to move the mind to the middle. And this Eightfold Path is helping you to understand the path to enlightenment and how to train the mind, to bring the mind more and more to the middle. But then you can apply this simple teaching of finding the middle to all parts of your life, even studying the Buddhist teachings. If you see that you're craving and desiring enlightenment and you're pushing, pushing, pushing yourself to read and to train and all this stuff, the mind's going to burn out. But also if you did nothing, and you really weren't really paying attention to reading, to attending classes, to asking questions, to getting personal help, that's not going to produce enlightenment either. So you've got to find that middle where you can maybe read 10 or 15 minutes a day, the book, and kind of gradually work through these chapters. You can meditate two or three times a day, building up your practice. You can maybe get personal guidance once a month or once every two weeks or whatever ends up being Uh, what you need at that particular time. You might go through a period where you need 
personal guidance every week and then maybe you spread it out once a month once every two months or as needed so you've got to find that middle in all these different areas of your life and that's what's going to produce this peaceful life grabbing on and chasing after these central pleasures that's not going to produce a peaceful mind and a peaceful life but also being indifferent and not really attending to the things that we might enjoy or things that we would like to do in life or meeting our objectives and our goals that's not going to produce a peaceful life either we're going to feel like we're depleted and not really feeling fulfilled so in this middle way there's this inner fulfillment where the mind feels fulfilled or peaceful or calm so this is all that i have to share with you guys if you guys have questions i'm pleased to help you guys and answer any questions that you might have but if not you know we can also in class as well we don't necessarily need to keep talking if you guys don't have questions that you would like to ask help with we have a question from tonka she writes is it possible to achieve enlightenment while being a vegetarian instead of a vegan yes so the middle way in understanding how to practice the middle as it relates to things that we eat is that next week Miranda is going to share with you guys the five precepts because I'm going to be traveling on Sunday and you're going to hear about the first precept that the Buddha teaches around killing and living compassionately for the welfare of other beings so if we ate meat all the time and we never made any attempts to move to vegetarian or vegan then we're just continuing the killing we're continuing the harm with our animals in the world and this is producing all kinds of harm as we eat food that is tainted with drugs and hormones and toxins from the animals that we eat that affects the physical body and the mind also as we kill animals in the world this produces environmental challenges and environmental difficulties so we experience the sickness in the human body and we experience this difficulty in the environment so this entire world is starting to move more and more to these teachings and we've been doing this from all of human evolution that we've been moving closer and closer as a human race or as humanity closer and closer to enlightenment without people necessarily realizing that's what we're doing because as a species we're evolving and at one time humans didn't eat animals we didn't eat meat we had a plant-based food supply you can see this you don't have to believe me or believe what people are right you can actually see this in your teeth if you look at carnivores animals like lions and tigers if you look at their teeth and how sharp their teeth are they're designed for killing and ripping meat and, and chewing meat and if you look at animals like horses and cows and things like this they have very flat teeth because they eat grain they don't eat meat our teeth are very flat very much like animals like cows and horses and things like this so we actually started eating meat out of necessity as we were evolving we ended up running out of food in the forest and we ended up becoming scavengers and we started to take over kills from predators and we started eating meat out of necessity because we lacked enough plants in the forest to be able to eat and we started eating meat but now because of human evolution and putting drugs and toxins and hormones and all these things into animals as we eat animals it's affecting our body it's affecting the environment so it would be wise to move to becoming vegan but not everybody in the world is going to be able to do that because of the universal truth of impermanence 
as a species, we need to gradually move to that. And there's people that have been vegan their entire life. I know students that have been vegan since they were born. In fact, their mother, when they were in the womb, were vegan. So when they were born, they've been eating vegan their whole life. They don't even have to take supplements or any kind of vitamins because from the time of conception all the way through their adult life, they've always been eating plants. But there's other people who, as you are switching and moving over to vegetarian and vegan, you might find certain challenges with that. I would suggest that people deeply look at that and ensure that any challenges that they meet, that they make concerted efforts in order to move as close to vegan as possible. But there's going to be rare situations where people might have certain medical conditions. And even if they consult a doctor who is vegan and who understands veganism very well, there might be situations where 90% of their diet can be vegan or 95% of their diet can be vegan, but they might still need to eat some eggs or some cheese or something like this. I've heard of a few cases like this. I don't know the details of it, but if you're in that situation where you're moving to vegetarian, you probably need to be vegetarian for six months or a year before you feel comfortable moving to vegan. It took me six months of eating eggs and cheese before I felt comfortable to move to vegan. The body and the mind had to adjust to that. So if you've recently made decisions to move towards veganism and you're now practicing being a vegetarian, eating eggs and dairy and other things like that, that's fine. You can hang out there for a while. But if there's no medical condition that's keeping you needing to eat eggs and cheese and milk and things like this, you should be able to move to vegan as well. But it's going to take you time to transition the body and the mind. You're going to have to find new recipes. You're going to have to find new food suppliers, new restaurants. All of this stuff is gradual. And you will see the improvement to the condition of the mind and the body as you do this. That's why you don't have to believe the teachings, but you can see the truth for yourself that the body and the mind becomes more healthy. And practicing the middle way here would be instead of going directly from eating meat to you know snapping the fingers and moving straight to veganism, that you understand that it's gradual, that you gradually start moving in more vegan recipes, going to more vegan restaurants, finding things that you enjoy eating that are vegan, and then you just gradually make your way towards that. But there's gonna be these rare occasions over the next few decades where because human beings have been eating animals for so long that there's going to be certain human beings that have certain medical conditions that even doctors who are very familiar with veganism might recommend that certain people with certain medical conditions continue to eat certain foods. But then as more and more of us are eating plant-based foods, more and more mothers are eating plant-based foods, babies in the womb, more and more are growing and developing based on plant-based foods. As there's birthing in the world over multiple generations, we should be able to get to a point where the majority of the population, if not all the population, is eating plant-based foods. But when each individual chooses to do that is up to them. It's something that you need to do gradually. It's a personal choice. I suggest people move towards veganism gradually and make a concerted effort to do that. And don't allow the mind to convince itself that it would be okay to just kind of stall out and only eat 
something like eggs and other dairy products just because you feel more comfortable doing that. You can continue to progress you know, month after month and move closer and closer to veganism, not allowing the mind to kind of justify eating eggs or cheese or milk because these still keep animals trapped in a life of servitude. And this is why we experience things like the bird flu and swine flu and things like this, that because of our close contact with animals, the viruses are coming from animals into the human world. And this is the harm that we're causing because we're causing harm by keeping animals trapped in a life of servitude. The harm is coming to us that these viruses are coming to us. So the more that human beings move closer and closer to plant-based food supplies, then we'll see that we won't have these viruses and sicknesses coming into our population. It's interesting you mentioned uh, some of that teacher, David. I was just reading about uh, the plagues throughout history. Uh, Somehow uh, I was looking up COVID and um, it was listed as uh, one of the seven seven deadliest so far in uh, human recorded history. And I noticed that these other other, um, uh, pandemics and endemics and things like this, most of them came from animals, like even like the plagues, the bubonic plagues, rats, you know, mm-hmm. COVID with the, with, uh, you know, the meat market out there and, you know, <clears throat> all of these things. So, um, yeah, that seems to be very true. Yeah. One of the ways to think about it is, you know, sometimes, you know, we've been desensitized to what we do. You know, when we eat an egg, we just, okay, it's an egg. You know, we eat an egg. We've been doing that for so long. We get desensitized to it. But think about if we had some superior being that was on planet Earth that was more superior than human beings, and they put us in a cage, and they took our eggs from us, and they kept us trapped in this life of servitude, and they were taking things from our body in order to eat, in order to maintain their livelihood. We would not like that whatsoever, but yet that's what we're doing to something like a chicken. And we think, oh, it's just an egg. It's not hurting them. But would we be interested to be in that cage and have animals that are more superior than us or some other being more superior than us taking our eggs and eating them and keeping us trapped in this life? You know, we wouldn't like that at all. We wouldn't stand for it at all. We would revolt as human beings. But yet that's what we're doing to other animals and we've come to accept it. And this is just our lack of wisdom as human beings. I've eaten plenty of eggs in my life. I've eaten plenty of animals in my life. I've actually worked on a farm and killed animals as part of my work on a farm. But as we gain more wisdom and we see the harms that we're causing the world, we can evolve beyond our past decisions and realize that the way that we're making decisions now is harmful to the planet. It's harmful to us as a species. You know, it's it's one disease after another, whether it's HIV, whether it's monkeypox, whether it's the ones that you mentioned, Nick, you can go back in history and you can see all these different viruses. They're all coming from the animal world. Whereas if we allow animals to be animals and let them roam in the forest and we are humans, these are two different realms. There's the animal realm and there's the human realm. And if we allow animals to be animals and humans to be humans, we don't have this contact with animals, then we won't experience these harms that we're now incurring. And people can see more clearly than ever with something like COVID, how we're causing harm by keeping animals trapped in this life of servitude. And that's the reason why this harm is coming to us. And while vaccines are wonderful and it's going to protect us against 
potentially acquiring this particular virus of COVID, there's a litany of other viruses just waiting for us in the animal realm. And if we continue to make the unwise decisions that we're making around this interaction with animals, there's just going to be one after another after another that we're experiencing. Yeah, that's another one that I read on the seven deadliest, the HIV. And that came from uh, chimpanzees, the blood of a chim- chimpanzee. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's very interesting. And uh, I was just realizing that reading that article, that all of these are coming from the animal realm, yep. you know, including today's, you know, um, the new one, you know, COVID. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can see, the, you know, the, the beauty in the Buddhist teachings now that we are 2,500 years away is that when he taught, he just taught the teachings and he didn't really kind of have these warnings or, you know, he didn't try to guilt, shame or fear people into practicing his teachings. He just taught the teachings. There's a few places where you can see where he says, okay, people who kill, this is going to be the results or people who steal, this is going to be the results or people who have harsh language, this is going to be the results. But he doesn't really talk about the results very much in terms of the unwholesome results that we experience. But now that we're 2,500 years away from when he taught, you can go through each individual harm that we experience in the world, and you can directly see how it's related to the Buddhist teachings in one way or another. And that's one of the beauties of having 2,500 years later after his teachings is that you can learn his teachings very deeply you can look at the harms that are being experienced in the world and you can directly relate every single thing you see on the news, every single modern topic that we're talking about. You can see through his teachings how wiser decisions that we make by practicing what he, he shared will improve the world and get us to a point where what I would describe as heaven on earth. Whereas if we had 7.5 billion people in the world that were enlightened, uh, you know, essentially the entire population enlightened, this would be heaven on earth. But it's going to take a whole lot of work from a whole lot of individuals to get there. We don't have to focus on everyone else doing that. We can just do it for our own life. And if we just focus on our own life and improving our own decisions, there's going to be other people who make other decisions that we might disagree with. And we don't need to try to run out and convince them to change their decisions. But if you learn these teachings and you can see the truth in them more and more and more and you improve your decisions, then with each person choosing to do this one by one, then collectively, as we evolve as a human species, we'll see the world becoming more and more of heaven on earth. Sometimes we think that, you know, everybody's got to get together and agree to one particular thing. And then that's how the world becomes a better place. But in reality, it becomes Uh, a better place by individuals choosing for themselves that I would like to make changes for my life. And then, for example, like Nick, when you first started learning, now your son, your daughters, your life partner, your mom, people around you are taking notice and starting to now practice just because of your choices to practice. And other people may be experiencing that as well. If you've been practicing for any length of time, you just focus on your own practice. And then after six months, a year, two years, other people are going to observe how peaceful your mind is. And they're going to ask you why. And you'll say, oh, well, I've been training the mind with the Buddhist teachings. And you'll start seeing people will gradually on their own make their own choices to now learn and practice. And that's how the world gradually, slowly becomes a better place. Thank you, Teacher David. Now, uh, going back to Tanka's uh, question, 
Um, if I could do a, a little follow-up there. When she asked if, if it's possible to achieve enlightenment uh, while being a vegetarian instead of a vegan. Um, so what I gather from what you said that uh, basically there's no entity out there that's going to be punishing us if we violate, you know, the uh, one of the precepts, either the killing or the stealing, you know, um, but it, the comma from it or the karma from it would be um, our own health and that, that would affect our own mind. Is that is that the way to understand that? So the middle can be, hey, be a vegetarian first and then, you know, try to move to vegan if you can. Yeah, that can be the middle is move to vegetarian first and then move to vegan. But if you're not moving to vegan, there should be a real medical purpose of why. You know, there's no timeline when you have to do that. Everybody makes their own choices. But if you can make it to vegan over a period of months and potentially years, you're going to see that you're not going to experience the bodily sickness uh, the way you would even if you maintain something like cheese or milk or, or eggs. And your mind can be at ease too, knowing that your ingesting of food isn't causing harm to other beings. Where if we decide to just move to vegetarianism and we just kind of tell the mind like, all right, well, that's good enough. And there's not really any real justification for that other than we might not be interested to put forth the extra effort. That's what I'm saying is that take your time, do what you need to do, make the decisions or not up to you to move towards veganism. And if you realize that vegetarianism is where you feel comfortable right now, then fine, you know, stay there. But ultimately, you're going to be impacted by those decisions in terms of what you're ingesting through the lack of health of the physical body and also the mind knowing that what you're eating is causing harm to other beings. So if you're going to just stay with vegetarianism, then I would say that if there's a medical reason for that, a real justifiable medical reason, then okay, that's understandable, right? And you've, you're still practicing living compassionately for all living beings. You're only eating these eggs and this cheese or these other dairy products because if you didn't, then it wouldn't be showing compassion to this being who needs that in order to be healthy, uh, in order to maintain your own health. But then as we evolve as human beings, multiple generations, we should ultimately be able to get to a point where more and more people are able to get to veganism and we're not seeing any kind of sicknesses or illnesses as a result that would require animal products. So be sure that if you're going to either stay with meat or you're going to stay with vegetarianism, that there's a real justifiable medical reason for that. And you've exhausted all your resources in terms of talking with doctors, talking with medical professionals, people who understand veganism. Because oftentimes what I find is when students talk to a doctor who isn't a vegan or who isn't a vegetarian, they will tend to revert to trying to convince that person to eat meat. If the doctor is a meat eater, they don't understand veganism. They don't understand vegetarianism. So they will tend to default to trying to get their patients to eat meat. So if you have a medical reason why you feel like you need to maintain vegetarianism, be sure you're talking with medical professionals that are actually vegan because they're going to understand how to potentially fix that medical issue while being a vegan, where a person who's a doctor or a scientist who's a meat eater, they haven't yet explored veganism on their own, so they might not know how to solve this problem while having somebody be a vegan, for example. 
Now, I can speak on uh, my journey a little bit here and, and something I went through, and I think uh, it might be helpful to others. So uh, I, I became a vegan, and I had to do the slow, gradual, uh, you know, to get down there um, with, a, with a pit stop at being a vegetarian for about six months. I did the same thing. Um, but the thing is, you know, when I became a vegan, you know, I, I could catch myself maybe getting discontent, you know, if I accidentally like had something with like hidden dairy in it, like, you know, may contain or something like this, or I ate some bread that I didn't know was made with eggs. I think what uh, it's important because that wouldn't be the middle if you're discontent. So, um, if you can, if you can help me out here and tell me if this is like a, the correct way to think about it, because the, the way I understand it, the world's kind of in like a transitionary phase. So not everyone is practicing these, you know, the plant-based or, or the, or veganism. So, you know, there might not be any bread that's available that, that, that is vegan, you know, and uh, as long as you're trying to be vegan, it's okay if some dairy gets into your diet, like you don't want to get discontent over it. Am I, uh, am I interpreting this correctly to make, to make sure that I stay in the middle? You know, if there is some dairy that, you know, I'm a vegan, but if some gets in somehow or there's no other options, you know, the important thing is to not eat meat, you know, but if you're a vegan, some vegetarian meals might be okay, depending on the situation. Yes. Your thoughts on this, sir? Yeah, there can even be craving, desire, attachment to be a vegan, right? Like if somebody's holding on to it real tight and, you know, they're just uh, craving to not eat meat, which is what you were describing, that when you saw a little bit of dairy in your product, you got discontent because of it, because there was that craving to be vegan, for example. But also if you were indifferent and you didn't care and you just ate whatever you ate without being conscious or aware of what you're eating that wouldn't be helpful that wouldn't be the middle way either so you work towards this goal of cleaning up your food supply because if you're eating a lot of preservatives if, if you're eating meat if you're eating an unhealthy food supply that's going to affect the body and the mind that's your gamma that's the results of your decisions so you can choose to be vegan and work in that direction and gradually move in that direction but because the world is the way that it is you might find yourself in a situation where there isn't another option. So there was a period of time where I had been vegan for about three years, and this was just about you know maybe six months ago, where I was at the mall with my son, and it was a weekend. It was like 3 or 4 p.m., and I hadn't eaten all day. And the shop that I usually purchase food from, there's just this one place at the food court where I usually get a vegan pad thai and they know how to make it and they don't put eggs it's just tofu and noodles and bean sprouts and things like this they were closed and i was like oh okay uh so what are my options you know i can leave you know get my son and leave and we can go find something else but i was starting to feel almost malnourished at 3 or 4 p.m without having food all day and he had already ordered his food and paid for it so I was like, all right, leaving probably isn't a good option. Thailand can be pretty hot. You can actually fall down and you know go unconscious in some cases. I've seen that happen to people. So I was like, all right, well, that's not a good option. Maybe there's another restaurant here, another vendor that sells something that I'm not aware of. So I went to each individual vendor one by one, and I, I scanned their menu and looked at their menu. I went to each restaurant twice. 
twice, looking at every single thing, even talking to some of the vendors to see if they would be able to make me some kind of food without meat. And after doing all of that, it took me probably 10 or 15 minutes to go through each one of those. And even my son was looking for me and we couldn't find anything. So finally I decided, okay, let me just eat this egg omelet. They serve this egg omelet over rice. And I was like, that is the least harmful thing that I could do in the situation. If I left, uh, my son wouldn't be able to eat. I haven't eaten. It's hot outside. I'm already feeling a little bit malnourished. If I left, that would potentially cause harm. If I ate meat, uh, which I definitely wasn't interested in, that would cause harm. So the middle way for me in that particular situation was, let me just get this egg omelet and put some vegetables in it and eat it over rice. And then that is something that I would be able to eat and be able to ensure that I'm not treating this being David in a way that would not be loving kindness and not be compassion. So that was the first egg that I've eaten in you know several years. But there are going to probably be those situations that you might find yourself in. If you're not attached or you're not craving to be vegan, then you can make that conscious choice and not be discontent about it and realize that, okay, I've lived compassionately for the welfare of all living beings. You know, I went to the place where I usually get food, they're closed. I went through the menus of all the different restaurants and looked at the board twice, going through each one methodically. My son was looking for me. I've done as much effort and much work. The only other thing I could probably do is just leave. Like I mentioned, I wasn't in a condition to be able to do that. So in that situation, my mind wasn't discontent. And then after that meal, you know, I was right back to eating vegan food again. So you can do these kind of things. And it's not like, okay, I had that one egg and now the whole world's going to be doomed and David's going to immediately get sick and he's going to end up in a hospital. There's not this type of thing that's going to happen because I've been making choices for up to that point, three years to eat vegan. So It's not like one egg is going to throw off your whole practice or throw off your health. But if you're craving to be vegan, then yeah, there's going to be discontentedness. So you choose things that are the least amount of harm and generally make decisions in your life that moves your practice closer and closer to harmlessness. Thank you, teacher David. That's, that's really helpful. The example you gave, um, is actually, uh, relates to the first question that I had. Um, you know, the, the middle way that can shift depending on life's impermanences. And, and I think you just gave a perfect exa- example of that, how it affected your life. That was the middle for you that day, correct? Exactly. You know, that's where you have to find the middle, which I found with eating vegan food. And I've got all the suppliers and restaurants that I go to. It took me a while to build that up. So I practiced that. That's my normal practice. But on that particular day, you know, I had to shift because of impermanence. And because of this impermanence, if my mind was craving to always eat vegan, the mind would have been discontent. But in that situation, I knew exactly what I was doing. I looked very closely at the menus. I chose what I chose. I ate it. And from that point forward, I was off to continuing to eat vegan food. And it wasn't a big deal for me because I knew what I was doing. It was a one-time thing and then just moved on from there. And in regards to food, um, again, there's there's not an entity that would punish you for for doing this. It's 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 your own comma, 
correct on the health of the body, right? Right. It's my own decision. Like even the fact that I was in that situation where I hadn't eaten, it was 3 p.m., 4 p.m. That was my decision, right? Like I, I went that long without eating. If I would have ate breakfast in the morning or if I would have had something at home before going to the mall, then I wouldn't have even been in that situation. And that's where we can make wiser decisions. So now what I do is when I go to the mall, because I know now that there's only one place that I can get food at that particular mall, I make sure that when I go there, I've already eaten something so that if that restaurant's not open, then I can just let my son eat and I can just sit there with him and he can eat while I choose to not eat. And I also thought about in the future, if I'm in that situation, what I could do is I could just eat rice. I, I don't necessarily need the egg. I could have just, you know, ate rice, which I thought of afterwards. But by that point, I was so hungry. The body was so hungry that I didn't think about that option, that I, I, I could have far, foregone the egg. I could have just eaten rice. So now I've got, through that experience, I've got more wisdom that when I go to the mall, I sh- ensure that I'm not uh, super hungry. And if I go to the mall and I can't get food from that one particular restaurant that serves vegan pad thai, then my backup plan is to eat just rice if I need to, or just sit there with my son. I see. So it's, um, it's always about making wiser decisions. Right. And wisdom. Each situation you can cultivate wisdom and say, okay, well, what could I have done here? What choices did I make that led me to this situation where I had to eat this egg? Um, and I chose to eat this egg. Well, I went there hungry. You know, I hadn't had food all day long. And then I was hungry and I was making good decisions. But when it came to it, I could have actually just ate rice. And I thought about that afterwards. So each situation where you see that your practice isn't what you would like it to be, you can cultivate wisdom in that situation and then make wiser decisions the next time. So it's not about being perfect today. It's about each situation that you're in using the Buddhist teachings to guide you to more and more wisdom and over a consistent long-term period of time, becoming more and more practicing the ideal practice of the Eightfold Path. Slow, gradual progress, right, Teacher David? Yes, that's right. Jan has her hand raised, so let's go to her. Your mute's on, Jan. I see your lips moving, but I can't hear you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Teacher David. I'd like to ask a question about right speech. Um, I've recently been uh, asked for my advice because people know that I'm studying um, the Eightfold Path and I don't feel very well qualified to give people advice. So I have been trying my best to share what my personal experience has been. Uh, I don't feel that I have um, the ability to explain the Buddha's teachings to people very well. So I encourage them to read your book, for example, or to go to other sources if they're interested. Um, and I'm trying, I feel like I'm trying to negotiate this middle way path of um, sharing what I do know without um, misspeaking. I wonder if you have any guidance for me or people in this similar situation or being asked to talk about what we're learning and maybe we're not feeling comfortable explaining to other people. What you're doing, Jen, is exactly what I would recommend. You know, you can only talk about your experiences and what you know, and you can make that clear, right? If there's no ego there or you're working on eliminating ego, you can be clear with them and say, 
the only thing I can discuss, the only thing I can share with you is what I know. And I don't feel like I know an enormous amount, but I can share with you what I do know. And then what I would recommend for you is to reach out to this teacher or this book or these classes. That's the best way to do it because oftentimes people get stuck in a situation where they're just learning and they get busy trying to help other people and they're not focusing on their own practice. Whereas if you had, you know, 10, 20, 50 people coming to you asking you all these questions about your practice, it's going to hinder you from being able to dedicate time, effort, energy, and resources to developing your practice. So the way to show loving kindness and compassion is to share a little bit of what you know, just, you know, helping them to get some basic cursory information based on their questions, but then directing them towards a resource or a person that can be more helpful for them. That way you're still practicing loving kindness and compassion. They're getting the help that they need, but you can stay focused on developing your practice as well. Thank you, teacher. You're welcome. I'm not seeing any more questions, teacher David. All right. Well, oh, Jan raised her hand. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, it just quickly, I wanted to share since we, there was the, the discussion about being vegan. Um, I had recently um, doctors asking me to take some supplements um, and we had a long discussion about vegan alternatives to these supplements and I was able to come up with the, the vegan alternatives. The doctors weren't aware of them, but we worked together. So I wanted to just encourage people who were in that situation because it was very possible. Um, I was told to take fish oil, for example, because I have glaucoma and uh, we were able to find flaxseed as an alternative and seaweed as an alternative. And so, you know, it, it, it was a very satisfying outcome. Thank you, that's all. Yeah, that's the point that I was making too, is that, you know, a lot of the doctors and medical professionals, we've, as a society, been involved with animals and animal products for so long that they haven't necessarily looked at plant alternatives for various things unless they themselves are vegan. If they are themselves vegan, then they've done that for their own life. So they understand. So oftentimes when we go to doctors and medical professionals, we just kind of assume that they know everything because we have a lot of trust and a lot of confidence in our medical professionals. But as an individual practitioner, someone who's on this path to enlightenment, you're looking for the truth. You're looking to make wise decisions. You understand that investigation is part of it. Investigating the Buddhist teachings, yes, but investigating this world around you as well. So this is a perfect example where even when a doctor is recommending a particular thing, it's wise for you to do research or have a discussion about different alternatives and see what other options are out there. Because in this situation, Jan, you got the additional options. And then also the doctor got a chance to learn something too, which is beneficial to him and other patients as well. So if we would just, okay, we'll take the fish oil and just do it because our doctor told us then we don't get a chance to gain more wisdom and growth. And then that doctor didn't get a chance to gain more wisdom and growth either. This is how as a species we evolve. And this is how now we have more products in the world that are plant-based. We've just been so animal based in all of the different things that we do in our life that it's going to take a concerted effort from individuals, individual people choosing to move towards plant-based 
supplies that we can see that we can actually operate our entire life without animals. I've gone now three and a half years without eating any animals. And this is why I'm sure that we can do this as a society and as individuals, if we choose, there should be no reason why we need to ingest animal products unless there's such a significant medical issue that there's just no way around it. And somebody qualified has helped us to look at that. Then there may be some situations here and there that that occurs. But by and large, we should be able to find more and more that we can cultivate this wisdom within humanity to find plant-based alternatives that are just as good, if not better, than what we're currently doing with animal supplies. So thanks for bringing that example up, Jane. I appreciate that. So thank you all for joining for today's class. I'll just give you guys a heads up of what we're going to be discussing in our future classes. Next Sunday is the chapter seven, which is titled The Five Precepts, A Householder's Guide to Daily Practice. This chapter is going to be taught on Sunday at our normal time, but it's going to be Zoom only because I'm going to be traveling to America starting next Sunday. So I'm not going to be here and available to teach that class. I had originally made my schedule so that I could, but then things shifted and changed, of course, because of impermanence. And now I have to take an earlier flight to leave from Thailand. So Miranda, who's a student who's been learning for about two years with me, has offered to teach that class of the five precepts, and she's been preparing for that. We've been meeting privately, and I've been helping her with that so that you can still attend and learn and ask questions to somebody, and it's going to be only in Zoom. It won't be on YouTube. It won't be in Facebook, but it'll only be in Zoom. I'm going to be publishing a podcast at the same normal time as I would the five precepts, but it's the five precepts that I taught last time in the iteration. It's when I recorded it last time. And I've taught the five precepts four different times in four different group learning programs. So you could attend Miranda's class on Sunday. You can also watch the videos that I've recorded when I've taught the five precepts. So your teacher is impermanent, even though I've taught classes for the last two and a half years and I haven't missed any classes yet. I think I missed one actually. I was sick one time over the two and a half years. This is the second class that I've missed is gonna be this Sunday. So that's going to be a Zoom only. And then as I'm traveling over the next five or six weeks, I'm going to still be teaching the Saturday and Sunday classes. I have it set up with my travel plans as I'm moving around to different cities that I'll be somewhere that I can teach on Saturdays and Sundays, the Polycanon and English study group in the group learning program. But on the Wednesdays, I thought what I would do is focus time helping the people that I'm going to be teaching in America and in Egypt and places that I'm going to be traveling to. So those Wednesday classes, they're still going to be held, but they're only going to be in Zoom. So Miranda's going to teach three classes and Bossom's going to teach three classes because it'll be a total of six weeks that I won't be in Thailand. So this Sunday in the next six Wednesdays after this Wednesday will be Zoom only, but you'll still be able to learn that way and you still have my recordings. And then of course, I'll still be teaching on Saturday and Sundays. And then at the beginning of August, when I'm back in Thailand, 
I'll be back on the normal schedule of Sunday, Wednesday, and Saturday. So yes, even David Roy Lance is impermanent. I won't be teaching classes always exactly the same schedule. Things need to shift, things need to change. And of course, at some point I will die as well. So this learning that you have available to you, we should be around for another 40 years or so. And after I'm gone, you've got these books and the recordings and the podcast and everything else that you can learn from. So this will be good for the community to be able to learn from other people and give other people an opportunity to teach because there's people like Miranda and Bassam and Nick and others who are interested in teaching someday. And this will be a nice way for them to gradually learn how to do that and for the community to be able to learn from other people besides just David. So thank you all for joining for today's class. Next class, next Sunday will be the five precepts. And then this Wednesday, I will be teaching because I'll still be in Chiang Mai. That's going to be the second class of our four-part series of Buddhist chanting. So you're welcome to join the Wednesday class as well. So I'll see you in a future class. I may even see you as I travel into America. I'll be in Washington, DC. I'll be in Florida. I'll be in New York. I'll be in Egypt, uh, going in a couple of cities there, teaching as well. And all the while, if you're around any of those places, feel free to connect. If you'd like to sit down and have a smoothie together, if you'd like to have dinner together, if you'd like to come to one of the classes that I'm teaching, you're more than welcome and more than invited to come and attend. So I'll see you in a future class, either live or here online. Until then, have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.